Well, the title of the message this morning is The King's Return. The King's Return, the text in front of us is Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. And it is uh, a challenging text in front of us. In our text this morning, Jesus, with, with relative brevity, not a lot of words, but at the same time with crystal clarity, describes what will be the single most epic event of all time. Namely, his glorious return. This is the event that believers throughout church history have looked for and longed for with ardent anticipation. Matter of fact, Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2, and he said, For the grace of God has appeared. And that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age as we wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Believers throughout church history have been looking for and longing for the return of our great chief shepherd. Paul's words to Titus there encourage believers that we're to continually live righteous lives motivated in great part by our continual expectation that Jesus Christ is coming again. He said he would return and he will make good on his word just like he will make good on every other word he has uttered. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? And the answer is no. God never speaks and then not acts. He never promises and then not fulfills. And so what I want to do this morning, before we dive into the meat of our text, is I want to give you a brief sequence of the eschatological events. Now, eschatological is just a 16-cylinder theological word. It just means last things. It means the study of last things or the study of last times. Okay? Eschatology. I want to give you a brief sequence of the eschatological events that will culminate in the new heavens and new earth that we as believers long for. And so number one, these are listed on the top of your outline. There are no notes, just here they are in their order. The rapture. The rapture. This is the next event in God's redemptive program. This is the event for which we believers are waiting for next. It's the rapture of the church. This is literally when Jesus will appear in the clouds, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and he will snatch up the church from the world. Now, admittedly, the word rapture does not appear in your Bible. You can read Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, you won't find the word. I think there's a better word for it, and it's the word that appears in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it literally means in the Koine Greek to be snatched up, to be caught up. Jesus is going to come, and he is going to appear in the clouds, and the church will fly. I don't know if you're excited about that. I'm pursuing a pilot's license right now, but I'm excited about flying in that sense more than I am about flying in the other sense. Okay, we are going to meet him in the clouds. Now, this rapture, this snatching up, this is separate from and not to be confused with the second coming of Christ. That's what our text this morning speaks about. Okay? That is not the next event in God's redemptive program. The rapture of the church is the next event in God's redemptive program. Okay? And I believe that the rapture is imminent. I believe that it could happen at any moment. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? 
our culture has been somewhat um, influenced by uh, the, the Left Behind series, uh, you know, where, where nice little piles of folded clothes will just appear there on the seat next to you, and that ought to be a scary thing if that happens, by the way. And, and uh, you know, airplanes are careening out of the sky, and, and pile-ups are, are happening on the 405, and every other loop around uh, the, 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 the globe. But this is not going to be a secret event. That, the, the Left Behind series kind of paints the rapture as a secret or a silent event. This is going to be a momentous event. When Jesus Christ parts the clouds and makes himself visibly known, there will be no mistake about it. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? That is the rapture. Right on the heels of the rapture or the snatching up, we move to the tribulation period. Immediately following the rapture, there is a seven-year period, which is referred to as the tribulation. This is Daniel's 70th week. If you haven't studied the book of Daniel, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, if you're a bit intimidated to study the book of Daniel, let me encourage you to get a hold of Tommy Nelson's teaching on the book of Daniel. It's excellent. It's superb. Tommy Nelson is the pastor of Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas. It's a phenomenal series. If you want to learn more about Daniel's 70th week, what we refer to as the tribulation. Jesus said that this period of time will be characterized by distress such as has been previously unknown to man. There will be death and hardship and innumerable calamities and natural disasters during the tribulation. The dysfunction and the destruction as a result of sin will be seen ever clearer during these difficult days. Matter of fact, the tribulation is divided into two three-and-a-half-year periods. The second three and a half years of that seven-year tribulation will be very, very intense. As a matter of fact, the Bible refers to it as the Great Tribulation. And it's during this time that the Antichrist will rise and lead many astray. So what we are waiting for is the rapture. Immediately following the heels of the rapture, we have that seven-year tribulation. And then... To close out that seven-year tribulation, we have the second coming of Christ, or what the Bible refers to as the day of the Lord. This is the event that will bring the seven-year tribulation to a, to a close. This is actually the first phase of the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus Christ, along with all the glorified church, will actually return to the earth. In the rapture, Jesus is returning in the clouds, will be caught up to be with him. The second coming, he's descending and he is placing feet on terra firma. He will be here for his second coming. Jesus will defeat the Antichrist in a great battle, and then he will judge the nations who are gathered before him, Matthew chapter 25. He will destroy all his enemies and he will gather all his peoples. Right on the heels of the second coming of Christ, we enter into the millennial kingdom. I believe that there is a literal 1,000-year millennial kingdom that is spoken of in Revelation chapter 21. Okay? This is not figurative language. This is not code for a, a certain amount of days. This is literal, a 1,000-year literal millennial uh, reign kingdom of Jesus Christ. After Jesus defeats the Antichrist and judges the nations... He will reign on the throne for a literal 1,000-year period. To close out that 1,000-year millennial kingdom, we come to the great white throne judgment. Okay? 
Satan will be unleashed for a short time to lead one final rebellion, and thus the second phase of the day of the Lord will commence. The judgment at the end of the tribulation served as a mere preview of the final white throne judgment that will take place at the end of Jesus' millennial kingdom reign. At the end of his millennial reign, Jesus will defeat Satan once and for all. He will judge every unbeliever according to his deeds. He will consign them all, Satan and the unrepentant, to the eternal lake of fire. This judgment will conclude with the destruction of the universe, what is quite literally an uncreation. I mean, absolutely cataclysmic event. But God will gloriously preserve the righteous through that destruction and usher the redeemed of the Lord into the day of God, the long-awaited new heavens and new earth. And this, my friends, is the great hope of every believer. Right on the heels of this great white throne judgment comes eternity future, or the eternal state. The universe will be cleansed once and, and for all of sin. The redeemed of God will enter into the eternal state. The glory of Christ will fill the heavenly city, which will be on earth, and we will be with our God forever and ever in the fullness of joy and with incredible pleasures at his right hand forevermore. You ready for all that? All right, close your Bible. We can go home. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow. And to think that anybody would think Christianity is boring. While there's a lot that will take place in the future, some of which is clear and some of which is more difficult to understand, what we need to be settled about is the certainty of God's future judgment. God is holy, He is just, and He is righteous. And he will rid this universe of every remaining particle of sin. His future judgment is certain. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 17, Paul said that, that the times of ignorance uh, have been overlooked by God. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. That man is capital M man, by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Friends, this is where we're all headed. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, let's turn our attention to our text for this morning. Let me encourage you to stand if you have the ability. This is Mark, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37, and these are the words that he pens. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give off its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out angels to gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. 
But my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. Five points on your outline this morning, they come to you by way of the the movement of the text or the scenes of the text. Number one, if you're taking notes, would encourage you to do so is this. When Jesus returns, the lights will darken and the heavens will shake. When Jesus Christ returns, the lights will darken and the heavens will shake. Now again, when is this event in the sequence of events that I gave you? Well, this is after the rapture. This is after the tribulation. This is what brings the seven-year tribulation to its close, the return of Christ. And at that moment, the lights will darken and the heavens will shake. Look again at verses 24 through 25. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give off its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. I mean, Jesus states unequivocally here, that the final signs of his return will occur right on the heels of the tribulation. But in those days, after the tribulation. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Jesus' uh, return will be preceded by numerous unnatural disasters. And that's what we looked at the last couple of weeks. Jesus refers to them as birth pains. But in verses 24 and 25, those, those signs are particularly terrifying. The language Jesus uses suggests a heavenly quake such as has never been experienced as star after star fall from their place and the universe hurls towards a chaotic disorganization. Just kind of let your mind grab that thought for a moment. Earth's own star, the sun, will dim such that the moon will cease to reflect its light. Luke writes about this event saying, And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming upon the world. It's interesting, that little phrase, people fainting with fear, it actually, in the original language, is probably closer to people are being terror-struck and dying with fear. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Luke 21, verses 25 and the following. Suffice it to say that no one present will mistake this event. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, after we had put the kiddos to bed... Uh, Jody had gone upstairs in the, in the evening and I was sitting down on the couch downstairs reading something and, and uh, I came back upstairs after a few minutes and she said, 
did you feel that a few minutes ago? And I said, feel what? And she's like, I feel like the house shook. And I said, I think you're just tired. And uh, I mean, I was literally sitting still on the couch downstairs. I mean, uh, TV was not on. The kids weren't running around. Uh, the dog wasn't chasing the cat or the cat wasn't chasing it. I mean, it was quiet. I, I felt nothing. And uh, lo and behold, we wake up the next morning and Jody finds uh, Mr. Bob Clubs. Uh, someone can tell him he got a name drop in the sermon this morning if you know him. Uh, Mr. Bob Clubs had posted that morning uh, that there was a small magnitude tremor that uh, the epicenter was just south of us. And uh, I felt nothing. Jody, Jody felt it. She's obviously the more perceptive in our family. And, uh, uh, but here's, here's what I want you to get. When Jesus returns, there'll be no mistaking what has taken place. There'll be no mistaking this event. The cosmic unraveling that Jesus speaks about here is literal, I want you to know. Jesus is not speaking in figurative language. He's not saying, well, it's going to be like this, or it's going to be akin to this, or it might look something like this when I return. Jesus is using very literal language here. Keep your finger there in Mark chapter 13, and turn over to Revelation chapter 6. I want you to see something here. Revelation chapter 6. Find verse 12. I want to draw your attention specifically to verses 12 through 17. Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17. Jesus speaks in literal terms here, and John actually writes about these events here in the sixth seal judgment, saying, look at verse 12, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the king of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling out to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? No one. No one can stand. As a matter of fact, when these individuals, these are the unrighteous, by the way, the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful, everyone slave and free, they they hid themselves in the caves and they called out to the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And friends, let let me tell you, let me be the first to tell you, it would be better for the mountains to have fallen on them. It would be better than to be exposed to the wrath of God. Which that's not an option, by the way. I'm just making the statement that it would be better. It would be better. Paul tells us that Jesus is the... You can flip back there to our text. Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He goes on to say, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, that is Jesus, and for him. He is before all things, and in him, here's the phrase I want you to get, in Jesus, all things, finish the sentence, 
hold together. In Jesus, all things hold together. Friends, the universe and everything in it is held together by the power of Christ's word this very moment. By his sovereign sustaining, he is holding everything in its place. Just as he created all things, he also sustains all things. But when Jesus returns, it will be accompanied by the removal of his sustaining power. And here's what will happen. Gravity will weaken. The orbits of planetary bodies will be thrown into confusion. And the resulting chaos will be unconceivable. Every aspect of the physical world will be disrupted beyond imagination. As the glory of our king descends to this earth. The picture here is of a total cosmic collapse. Darkness and chaos will envelop everything just as it did before time. Just get this picture in your mind. If you can think back to the first book of the Bible, Moses tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Mark will circle back to this event Uh, this condition of darkness at the crucifixion of Jesus in chapter 15. We'll be there shortly. Mark says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. You see, at the death of Christ, darkness, uh, darkness enveloped the earth. Chaos enveloped the earth. As believers, we should see the utter destruction of the universe as we know it, not with dread and horror, but with confident hope in the one who makes all things new. Friends, don't don't be one of these individuals who is trying to hide yourself in the cleft of a rock, calling out to the mountains fall on us to protect us from the wrath of the Lamb. Don't, don't, Don't be that man. Don't be that woman. Don't be that child. Repent and believe. Come to Christ. It's not a scare tactic, it's reality. It's reality. As believers, if you're here this morning and you have been saved by grace, if you've been redeemed, blood-bought, purchased by the Lamb of God, then we should not see the utter destruction of the universe as we know it with dread and horror, though these words are terrifying as you read them. Instead, we with confident hope look to the one who makes all things new. When Jesus returns, the lights will darken and the heavens will shake. Number two, write this down. The whole world will witness Jesus descend to the earth in great power and glory. Look at verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. You see, friends, the second coming of Christ will be utterly unlike his first coming. His first coming was in weakness as a tender infant. Born of a poor woman in a manger in Bethlehem, he was relatively unnoticed, unhonored, and scarcely known. But his second coming, on the other hand, will be with royal dignity, with the armies of heaven around him, to be known, to be recognized, and to be feared. He came the first time to suffer, to bear our sins, to be reckoned a curse, to be despised, rejected, unjustly condemned, and slain. He shall come again a second time to put every enemy under his feet, to rule in righteousness, to judge all men, and to live forevermore. In the midst of this 
cosmological unraveling here. Jesus, the Son of Man, uh, Mark's words tell us here, will come in clouds with blazing power and glory. Again, the return of Christ will be unmistakably public. I want you to, to notice here that there's no, and you probably wouldn't notice this by just the translation that's sitting on your, nap, on your lap, but there's no definite article in front of the words cloud, clouds. Nephele is the word there. The Son of Man coming in clouds. There's no definite article there. In other words, Jesus isn't speaking about the clouds. That would be the definite article. He's not speaking about the clouds as in the fluffy accumulations of moisture that we see in the sky. That's not what, what Jesus is speaking about here. Rather, the Greek preposition in should be understood as with the clouds. Jesus will return coming with clouds, with great power and glory. Jesus is saying that his return will be accompanied by great clouds of glorified saints and angels. I think that's what I want you to get from this point here. When we read, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds, don't, don't think of those fluffy accumulations of moisture that we saw uh, unleashing this morning as you drove into church. No. That's not what the original language means here. Jesus will return accompanied by a cloud of glorified saints and angels. Matter of fact, we see the term used this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great what? cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word is actually used in classical Greek to describe an army of soldiers. And I would submit to you this. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says of believers, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also what? Appear with him in glory. And power and glory it will be. Friends, I want you to get this picture in your mind. When Jesus Christ returns, all the redeemed, all the heavenly host will accompany him. And if you know Jesus Christ, you will be there. You will be there. Christ's return will be accompanied by inconceivable demonstrations of his divine power over the universe. He's coming with great, overwhelming, unspeakable creation, quaking power, completely and utterly unrivaled this will be his greatest display of power ever. He will demonstrate his power to protect his chosen people. He will demonstrate his power to redeem the elect. He will demonstrate his power to restore the devastated earth. And he will demonstrate his power to establish his rule on the earth. This is going to be a power like has never been seen before, like has never been displayed before. I mean, Adam and Eve had a glimpse of God's glory as they walked and talked with him in the Garden of Eden. The children of Israel had glimpses of God's power and his glory in the pillar of fire that led them through the wilderness. Isaiah had a glimpse of it in his heavenly vision. My eyes have seen the king in Isaiah chapter 6. Peter, James, and John speak about it, uh, getting a, a glimpse of Christ's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus' face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. But no human being has yet seen the full unveiled glory of God in Jesus Christ and no one will ever see it until Jesus appears at his second coming and all mankind sees him at once. At that time... Again, no one will have to ask, who, who is this? 
He will be perfectly recognized by every human being on earth, and he will execute perfect justice. Perfect justice, friends. Think about this for a second. All all rebellion, all fist-waving against God, all false religion, all false teachers, all atheism, all self-deification, I want to be God, setting myself up to be God, all arrogance and all pride, all hatred and disgust of God will finally be judged when Christ returns. I mean, think about history for just a second. Think about all the men and women who set themselves up to be lowercase gods. You think about Alexander the Great and Peter the Great and Napoleon and Stalin, the Man of Steel, Hitler, and many other wicked tyrants who have ordered the execution of untold numbers of people, even their own people in history. Think about America today. Think about your culture at this very moment where secularism is trying so hard to scrub God out of everything. Get him out of our schools. Get him out of our government. Don't talk about him on TV. I mean, we just want to erase him and scrub him out of everything. The world is united uh, uh, about one thing, and that is let's get rid of God. Students, you see it on campus. Students, you see it in your schools. Secular teaching, humanistic teaching. The cry today is no different than the cry thousands of years ago. And that cry is this. We will not have this king to rule over us. It's the same cry today. But now it all ends as Christ comes back with his mighty power and blazing glory and he brings it all to an end. How vast is the difference between Christ's first coming and his second coming? Here are some comforting thoughts for Christ's friends. These are the words of J.C. Ryle here. He says, for Christians... For friends of Christ, their own king will soon be here. They shall reap according as they have sown. They shall receive a rich reward for all they have endured for Christ's sake. They shall exchange their cross for a crown. But here are some confounding thoughts for Christ's foes. The same Jesus of Nazareth, whom they have so long despised and rejected, shall at length have preeminence. That very Christ whose gospel they have refused to believe shall appear as their judge and helpless, hopeless, and speechless they will be as they stand before his bar. Repent and believe, friends. Repent and believe. The whole world will witness Jesus descend to the earth in great power and blazing glory. Number three, Jesus will send his heavenly host to gather the elect from the earth. Jesus will send his heavenly host to gather the elect from the ends of the earth. Look back at your Bible there and look at verse 27. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. I I love this language here. This is beautiful. The king of kings will dispatch his angels into the world to gather those redeemed by the blood of the lamb during the tribulation. Let me me make a helpful point here. 
I said that the next event that we are waiting for in God's redemptive plan is the rapture, the the snatching up or the catching up of the church. Here's what that means. That means tribulation, our number one, or probably better said, moment number one, there are no believers. Everyone who enters into the tribulation are unbelievers. Because believers will be snatched up. But there will be numerous people who come to saving faith in Christ during the tribulation. Many of them will be martyred and ripped to shreds for it. But there will be many, many people who come to Christ during this seven-year tribulation period. These are the people for whom Jesus is speaking about whom Jesus is speaking in verse 27 when he says he'll send out his angels to gather his elect from the four winds. Because believers will already be caught up in the air. We will already be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Jesus descends his second coming, he will come and he will gather up all the remaining redeemed. All those who have been blood-bought during the tribulation. Notice these angels don't go out gathering religious people. These angels don't go out gathering people of faith or nominal Christians. No, they go out to gather the elect. Can I just answer a simple question for you here? How do you know if you're elect? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. The angels are coming to gather the elect here, those who truly belong to Christ, and they will gather them from every square inch of God's universe. Again, these elect specifically include all the Gentile and Jewish believers who survived the horrors of the tribulation period. Notice again that Christ knows exactly where they are. Boy, that's comforting, right? You know, even for us as Christians, this side of these events, it can seem at times as though God is distant or far off or God doesn't know what's going on in my little world right now. He's not well acquainted with my circumstances or my grief or my trials. No, he knows exactly where the elect are and he's going to gather them from every square inch of the universe. Friends, he knows where you are now. Don't forget that. It's of great comfort. From every nook and cranny of the earth, these people will be gathered up. Nothing can separate believers from the love of Christ. The safety of the Lord's people shall be provided for when final judgment falls upon the earth. He will do nothing before he has placed them beyond the reach of his wrath. The flood did not begin until Noah was safe in the ark. The fire did not fall on Sodom until Lot was safe in the walls of Zoar. The wrath of God on unbelievers shall not be set loose until believers are hidden and secure. It's important to note that just as all the elect will be gathered here in our text, none of his enemies will escape him either. If Jesus is going to gather all the elect from every square inch of the universe, then Jesus' enemies, unbelievers, should know that they will not escape him either. When Jesus returns, no bunker will shield you from his judgment. You know right now, by the way, that you can, you can purchase for some handful of millions of dollars, you can purchase a doomsday bunker. People have outfitted these things with food and water where they think they're going to survive the apocalypse. Friends, don't think that a little dirt over your head is going to keep you from the wrath of God. 
When he returns, it'll be too late for those who have rejected him up to this point. The door of salvation will be shut at his second coming, just like the door of the ark was shut. Number four, Jesus' return will show him faithful to his word. Jesus' return will show him faithful to his word. Just want to say a few things here. Look at verses 28 through 31. There's a lesson here that we need to learn from the fig tree. And the lesson is this. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Jesus is connecting this to, to his second return. So also, he says, when you see these things taking place, that's all those birth pains that we've seen the last few weeks. When you see these things taking place, culminating in the descending of the Son of Man to earth, you will know that he is near. He's at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation, the generation living at that time, will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What are we to glean from this? Well, I think it's very simple. Commentators, I think, have struggled and grappled with what in the world do we do with these handful of verses here. And I think that their meaning and their application are very simple, and it's very easy to understand right on the face of the text. And here it is. Most of the trees in Palestine are evergreens. Okay, when you think about that part of the world geographically, most of the trees in that area are evergreens. That means they don't change very much with the progressing of seasons. But the fig tree, the fig tree is an example that is different. The fig tree is an exception. It loses its leaves in the winter, and the reappearance of its leaves each year is an indication that summer is very near. And so people in Jesus' day would look at the fig tree to know, ah, ha, got it, okay, winter is closing, summer is near. And so Jesus just takes that same illustration that would have been so familiar to people in his day and said, listen, such it is with me. When you see all these signs, no, winter is about over, summer is about here, you better get ready. You better get ready. It's interesting, Jesus actually says here, I think, his words are more certain than heaven and earth. Just kind of let that settle in for a second. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. More certain even than the passing away of the heavens and the earth, which we know are certain, are the words of Jesus. He says, my words will not pass away. When Jesus returns, it will show him, it will prove him to be faithful to his word. He said, I'm coming, and he is. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? The answer is a resounding no. No, no. Lastly, number five. Stay awake and be ready. He's coming soon. Stay awake and be ready. He's coming soon. Look at verses 32 through the end of the chapter there. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Let me pause right there. Jesus knows now. When Jesus spoke these words in his humanity, he did not know, but Jesus knows now. He knows exactly when he's going to return. He goes on and he says, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. Here's another story, by the way. It's like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge. Okay, we're all tracking with you, Jesus. Each one with his work. 
and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. There's the imperative. There's the command. There's the charge. If you want to know, what do I do with all this? Do this. Stay awake. Be vigilant. Stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say, I say to you all, stay awake. In light of everything Jesus has said in the Olivet Discourse, that's Mark chapter 13, his closing words are this, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Be awake, be vigilant, be busy about serving our Lord with one eye on your work and one eye to the clouds. How are you doing there, friends? I think so often... And I'm a part of this so often. We get so, so busy. We're little busybodies doing everything down here that we don't even have an eye to the sky. We forget that, our, that our, our king, the captain of our salvation, the chief shepherd, is soon returning. Friends, we keep one eye on our work and we keep one eye heavenward. Living with that burning hope of seeing Christ face to face. Peter tells us that Jesus' return in judgment will catch many off guard in his letter. Peter tells us that Jesus' return in judgment will catch many off guard. Matter of fact, he, uh, he says this, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Similarly, Paul wrote these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. No bunker is going to keep you safe in that day if you're not found in Christ. If you're found in Adam, there's no safety. Jesus' return and judgment will come uninvited, unannounced, and unexpected is for the lost, and as a complete shock to those expecting peace and security. I was thinking about this this week in my study, and we'll bring this to a close here. December 7th, 1941 was an unexpected day in U.S. history. Many of you, just by the date, know exactly what that day is. It's the day that Japan launched a surprise attack on American soil at Pearl Harbor. And shortly after sunrise on Sunday, December 17th, or 7th, 1941, hundreds of Japanese fighter pilots descended upon the American naval base at Pearl Harbor near Honolulu, Hawaii. Though the base had adequate equipment for detecting such an invasion, the American forces were caught completely off guard. When an army radar operator saw the blips on the screen and reported, an officer said, well, it's, it's probably nothing more than a pigeon with a metal band around its leg. At that time, the attacking planes were just 50 minutes away. And at 7.55 a.m., the first wave of the attack began. Ships were sunk, planes were destroyed, and 2,300 men lost their lives. Like a thief in the night, they were caught completely unaware. So it will be when Jesus returns, speaking about the rapture. So the thing that we are anticipating next. He will come like a thief in the night. Those who thought they could somehow avoid his coming or dismiss the clear biblical warnings as mere metal bands on the feet of a pigeon will be completely caught by surprise. Friends, don't be caught by surprise. Jesus is coming. People get ready. He's coming to take his people home. 
Notice also, and lastly here, the homeowner in verse 34 has given his servants work to do while he is away. Friends, if you're a believer, you have work to do, get busy. Get busy. What are you doing right now? What are you doing today? And I, I am you. I'm, I'm, I'm a part of the you here. What are we doing that will matter for eternity? I think one of Satan's greatest schemes today is to get you and to keep you busy doing things that don't matter. Some men die by shrapnel. Some men die by flames. Most men die inch by inch playing life's silly little games. The words of C.T. Studd. Be alert. Be on full alert. He may come today. Are you ready? Christians, let me remind you that though the universe will undergo an insufferable period of darkness and anguish in the days ahead, the light will come, not by the reillumination of the sun and the moon and the stars, but by the radiance, the brilliance of Christ's own divine glory, which will be the light in the eternal heaven and new earth. In that day, there will be no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. Its lamp shall be the Lamb. And we celebrate that risen, ruling, reigning, soon returning Lamb this morning. I hope you celebrate Him too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are gloriously going to return. That you, have divine, that you have defined a moment in which you will step back into this world and you will sum all things up under Christ who is the head. And in that day you will judge the world, you will deal with sin and unrighteousness and wickedness and pain and terror and hurt. You'll wipe away every tear, you'll make all things new. And you will usher the redeemed to be with you for eternity, that is days without end. Lord, we look forward to that day. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus Christ savingly by faith and repentance, that they would come to know you, that they would turn their back on their sin and turn their face on Christ and receive, receive the gift of eternal life. And Lord, for those of us that know you, help us to keep one eye on our work and to keep one eye heavenward until you return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.